from the uh, Things Aren't Always As They Appear file come the following story. A blonde, wanting to earn some money, decided to hire herself out as a handy woman and started canvassing a nearby well-to-do neighborhood. She went to the front door of the first house and asked the owner if he had any odd jobs for her to do. After thinking for a minute, he says, well, you know what, actually I was going to have my porch painted and if you'd like to do that, that would be great. How much would you charge me? The blonde, after looking about, responded, how about 50 bucks? So the man agreed, told her that the paint and other materials that she'd need are out back in the garage. The man's wife inside the, ho- inside the house heard the conversation and said to her husband, does she realize that the porch goes all the way around to the back? To which the man replied, well, she should. She was standing on it. What do you think? She's dumb or something just because she's blonde? I can't believe that you would think such a thing. She said, well, no, I guess I'm just guilty of being influenced by all those dumb blonde email jokes that we get all the time. So a short time later, the blonde came to the door to collect her money, and the the husband, the homeowner said, are you finished already? And she said, yes, I am. And in fact, I had paint left over, so I gave it two coats. Impressed, the man reached in his pocket, handed her 50 bucks, and as she was turning, she said, oh, by the way, it's not a porch, it's a Lexus. (laughs) All righty. Someone else was influenced by those email blonde jokes, I guess. But uh, last month I spoke to a uh, men's group, and uh, during that time I opened it up at the, end of my, uh, at the end of my time with them to questions and answers. And uh, familiar with my background in athletics, the questions inevitably led to the realm of role models and whether athletes should be looked upon as such. One gentleman decided, rather than ask a question, to make the following statement. He says, as far as I'm concerned, they're all just a bunch of overpaid bums. Well, you know, I didn't agree with him and I told him so, but his statement reflects the uh, frustration of many today who recognize the need for and the lack of positive role models in our society. And several questions came to my mind as I was driving home that evening as it related to the whole idea of role models. And I was thinking, you know, who were my role models when I was growing up? Or who are they today? You know, and I, and, I would, and I thought, well, you know what, what a question, you know, to ask yourself. You know, who are your role models or who is your role model? And what constitutes a role model? What do you look for, what qualities do you look for in a person that you would put in a position of saying, that person is my role model? And are things truly as they appear? You know, when you get behind the scenes... Are they consistent with what image it is that you see on the surface? Fortunately, as we continue in our study through the book of Acts, a book that challenges believers to be dynamic in their Christian life, we come to Acts chapter 6 where we're introduced to a man who I, I would identify as a positive role model. A positive role model. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 6 where we find details of a remarkable man, a man who without doubt is the type of person we should all imitate. And we get a snapshot of his life found in Acts chapter 6 starting with verse 8 where we read these words. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians, Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. It says, and yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. 
It says, Then they secretly induced men to say, we had, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the custom, customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. This passage marks an important transition in our study in the book of Acts. Up to this point, Peter has been the dominant figure, fulfilling his calling by sharing the gospel with the Jews. Uh, soon we'll be introduced to the Apostle Paul, who will take the gospel to the outermost parts of the world, to the Gentiles, and he'll reach them for Jesus Christ. Now, bridging the gap between these two giants is Stephen. And Stephen's brief ministry was mainly to Jews from Gentile lands, and it catapults the church out of Jerusalem into the rest of the world. Stephen was a key figure in the early history of the church. And, uh, but apart from his historical role, it, he was and is significant because he's such a positive role model, as we'll see. He's proof that the impact of a man's life has nothing necessarily to do with its length. The impact of a man's life has nothing necessarily to do with its length. And that's important to realize, that one person can make a significant difference in this world. One person can, can, can matter. We often ask ourselves the question, you know, what difference does it make? What can I do? What can one person do in light of what we see going on in our country, what we see going on in our, our society, or our world as a whole? What can one person do in your place of business, or in your neighborhood, or in your family, or in your school, or on your athletic team? What can one person do? Can one person really make a difference? And I'm excited to tell you as we look at the life of Stephen that the answer is, is, is a blazing yes. One person can make a difference. The efforts of one courageous person, though of short duration, can turn this world upside down. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Stephen. If you're looking for a role model, a positive role model, you need search no more. Stephen is everything that those wanting to please God should be, even though this world failed to recognize his greatness. You know, this world's standard of greatness is so far different than God's. What God sees as great, man sees as, as uh, superficial to some degree. You know, man judges the outward appearance and God judges the heart. The fact that the world that Stephen lived in missed his greatness should come as no surprise to any of us when you consider that, you know, this world measures or puts an emphasis as to role models on things like, you know, success or material wealth, or some type of prestige, or popularity, or athletic ability, or other things that God looks at and says, hey, that's just part of the package. You've got to look deeper than that and further than that if you're really looking for a role model. You know, as we consider these things, the fact that this world didn't recognize Stephen as great should come as no surprise because this world with the same standards of elevating people because of material wealth or success or some other type of ability is the same world that killed Jesus Christ. It's the same world that killed and beheaded the Apostle Paul. It's the same world that executed and crucified Peter upside down. And as we'll see, it's the same world that judged Stephen as a blasphemer and killed him as well. So it's no exaggeration as we look at this to place Stephen on a par with the likes of Abraham, Moses, David, John the Baptist, the apostles. 
His life is truly remarkable. And as we look at this, we're going to look at three evidences or three things that I would say that we all should look for if we're looking for a positive role model. Number one, notice in verse 8, we're going to take a look at his character. The Bible has much to say about character. You know, because as, as we know, our reputation is what others think we are. Our character is who God knows that we are. See, we can have a reputation on the outside that doesn't reflect what's really in our hearts and who we really are. And so it's a wonderful thing when our reputation and character go hand in hand. But as far as his character is concerned, it should come as no surprise when you look at verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing wonders and signs among the people. It should come as no surprise to us, and it should be already uh, uh, readily apparent that Stephen's virtue was recognized by those around him. Think about it. After all, there were some 5,000 men that are mentioned in the early church, 20,000 some, some people altogether, and out of those 5,000 plus men... Stephen was one of seven selected to oversee the funds that would be used to minister to the widows. And in fact, his name is given first. And he's given preference. So it should come as no surprise to us that there's something about this man and his selection reveals the high esteem of the church that the church had for him and only the apostles had loftier status because they were chosen by Jesus himself. But when you think about his character, as we look at this, and the question that we have to ask is, what was it about Stephen's character that makes him such a positive role model? And four things are brought to our attention. Go back to uh, verse 5 in the same chapter. Notice the first thing that we're told about Stephen, and it's followed up here again in verse 8. The Bible tells us the statement found approval as far as picking or choosing men. And it says that in the whole congregation they chose Stephen. Notice what the Bible tells us about him. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say in verse 8 that Stephen was full of grace and power. And so there's four qualities or characteristics of his life that if we're looking for someone to say, hey, we need a positive role model, we need people to look up to, we need people to imitate and emulate and to walk, you know, to walk in their shoes, so to speak, we need to be like this person, what is it about them that we need to find in order to say that's the right person to follow? The first thing is that we notice that the, the word, it says that he is full, he is full as we see here, of faith, the Holy Spirit, grace, and power. The word full here and in verse 5, again in verse 8, means to be filled up. Stephen was totally controlled by faith, the Holy Spirit, grace, and power. If you're looking for qualities in a role model, look for a man or a woman who is filled up with faith, the Holy Spirit, grace, and power. As to faith, it's referring to the body of beliefs that comprise the essence of Christianity. That he was full of faith means that he was filled up with a knowledge of who he was in Christ, of who Jesus is, of what sin is all about, of God's purpose and plan for man, why God sent a Savior into the world who He was, who He is, why we should turn from sin and turn to God, why we should put our trust and faith in Him and in Him alone, and in not in any type of religion or any type of work system or any type of anything other than 
faith and faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin. The Bible says he was full of faith, meaning that he knew what he believed, and it will be demonstrated to us as we look at chapter 7 in, the, in, in upcoming weeks or upcoming sessions, because he believed first and foremost that God ruled human history. He believed that God was in absolute control of his personal life. He believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of messianic prophecy, that he was who God said he was, that he was Messiah, that he was the Savior of the world, even he who comes into the world, the promised one of God. He was convinced of that. He was filled up with that. There was no doubt in his heart, no doubt in his mind. He knew what he believed, and he knew why he believed it. He was convinced of it. He was convinced that he was able to complete that which he had started in his life. And he believed in the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for a positive role model, find a man or woman who is full of faith, who is solid in their understanding of Scripture, solid in their understanding of the Word of God. If you want to follow anybody, follow that person because that person's walking the right way. He was totally trusting in God. I'm going to ask you a question, one of those tough questions I had to ask myself in this. Am I full of faith? Do I know why I believe what I believe? Do I know what I believe or claim to believe? If I'm asked a question, does it throw me through a loop and make me feel stupid and silly and get me angry because I don't have an answer for it? You know, we're supposed to sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ Christ in our hearts, always being ready or able to give a defense for the hope that is within us with gentleness and respect. Can I do that when I'm asked a question? Supposedly, this morning as I go and I do baseball chapel for the Kansas City Royals, there's a media crew that's here from Japan and want to do a documentary on Major League Baseball. And uh, they want to interview me because part of baseball is chapel. And they don't know what that is, and they don't know what that's all about, and they want to know. The question is, will I be able to answer their questions in a way that they can write something and take it back and have substance to it? I pray to God that I am. But we always have to be ready to give an answer, a defense for the hope that is within us. He was full of faith, and he was fully trusting in God. Do you fully trust God? Unfortunately, many of us trust God or so we say for our eternities, our eternal destiny. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I believe that absent from the body, one day I'll be present with the Lord because of the promises of God. And yet when it comes to the day-to-day circumstances of life, I'm not really convinced that God is able to do what He claims He can do. And you think, how ironic that is. I'm going to trust the most important part of my life to Him my eternal destiny, but I can't trust Him in my relationships with others. I can't trust Him that He can bring somebody into my life that I can date that is be pleasing to God. I can't trust that I can trust Him in our marriage to help me work through the difficulties that come over the course of a long period of time as we go through the ups and downs and the roller coaster ride of relationships with one another. I can't trust Him when it comes to disciplining our children. I can't trust Him when it comes to business dealings and financial dealings and and, uh, health issues. But I'll trust you for my eternal destiny, but I'm not so sure that I can trust you with the day-to-day circumstances of this lifetime. 
Hey, let me tell you something about Stephen. You're looking for a role model? This man was sold out to Jesus Christ. He trusted Him fully. And he concentrated on doing what God wanted him to do daily. And the consequences, he gladly left in the hands of God. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11. God's great hall of faith. You know, we're talking about athletes as role models. Lynn and I have been fortunate enough to be invited back to the uh, uh, National Football League's Hall of uh, Fame um, uh, dinner and, and induction ceremonies in, in August for a couple of guys that played for the Rams that, that we know personally. And I think what a great honor that is uh, for these men to be recognized as the greatest players that played their game. They were committed to excellence. And I believe that every one of us as believers, by the way, should be committed to excellence at whatever it is that we do. Because we should work heartily, Colossians 3 tells us in verse 23, wholeheartedly, knowing it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve and whom we represent. We should be excellent because we're given an audience at that point. You know what? People will listen to what those men have to say because they were excellent at what they did. And they earned that audience and they earned the privilege to be able to share and give and defer all the glory to Jesus Christ. And I think, but that Hall of Fame pales in comparison to Hebrews chapter 11, God's great Hall of Faith. Because, you know, our Halls of Fame here on earth are going to burn up with everything else. But you know what? The great hall of faith is immortalized throughout eternity in the Word of God. That's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the Word of God will never fade away. And I look at these men and women who are there. Great men and women of faith. And faith, if you want a definition to take home with you today, faith is obedience in spite of the perceived consequence. Being fully sold out in spite of what you see as a, as a potential consequence of following Jesus Christ. Faith, obedience, in spite of the perceived consequence. Do you fully trust God in every area of your life? Or are you hesitant, fearful, timid, because you're afraid if you take a stand that there may be some type of earthly price to pay? Get used to it, because there always is. But greater is He who is in us than he who is in this world. Some of us never get to experience what it is to be at that point in our walk with the Lord because we do not fully trust him in every area of our life. The Bible says that he was also a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is a wonderful privilege for each and every believer. Each and every believer has the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in his or her life. Because if you don't, then you're not, by God's definition, a child of God. For we are baptized. At the moment that we trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, the Bible says we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're washed, regenerated by the Spirit of God. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And we need to recognize that the power of the Spirit of God lives within us. To be full of faith is to trust God implicitly. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to obey Him fully. Trust Him implicitly and obey Him fully. Those two realities, trusting God, submitting to His leading, epitomize the strength of the Christian life. If you feel like there's no strength to your life as a believer, you've got to ask yourself two questions. Do I trust God implicitly... And do I obey Him fully? The words of that classic old hymn, trust and obey. 
Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but what? To trust and obey. Do you trust Him and are you obedient? Is this true of your life? Are you, are you trying to enjoy life, be happy, without trusting and obeying God fully in your life? It can't be done. And I challenge you at this moment in time, if you are anything less than doing that, to ask God to forgive you and to turn to Him and trust Him in every area. You know, a positive role model is one who is full of faith, full of obedience, and not full of him or herself. If you see the so-called role models in our culture, and I can't stand it when people talk in the third person. It's like, what? You're interviewing someone, and they're talking about themselves as if they're talking about someone else. Well, you know, Chuck, when Chuck was out on the field today, you know, Chuck did this, Chuck did that. Man, Chuck is something else. It's like, wait, now aren't you he? Well, who are you talking about? You know, we get so full of ourselves that we got to set aside that type of role model and find somebody who is what? Full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Not full of themselves. Someone who recognizes they are who they are because of the grace of God in their life. They are who they are because God has given them the talents that He's given them. They are who they are because God has given them abilities that they've gone out, obviously, and they've maximized and they put in effort. But at the same time, you know what? The great intangible and the great story to all of life is I have a friend of mine, Kevin Green and his wife and two kids spent the week with us. And we were going around talking to different people. And the thing that I appreciate about one of the things that Kevin said was, you know, he looked at this group of people that we were talking to and he said, you know what? There is no other answer but this. It is only because of the Lord's hand on my life and His blessing in my life that 15 years in the NFL, I never had a knee injury. And he knew that there was no other explanation for it, and and, and I knew it, and he knew it, and so it was about time that everybody else knew it. It's like, hey, the only reason I did what I did is because the Lord's hand was upon me, and He had a purpose in my life. Because there's always someone bigger. There's always someone stronger. There's always someone smarter. There's always something else about someone else that could get them to what you've accomplished in your life. But the reality of it is, you did what you did because God chose to bless you. Never lose sight of that. If you do, you're full of yourself and you're not full of God. Because God does what He does in our life because He's gracious and He's merciful. And He chooses to do what He does so that we will use that success as a platform to share the love of Christ with those who God brings in our life. A third reality or characteristic of Stephen was it flowed from trust and obedience and that it was he was filled with God's grace. He was filled with God's grace. As we trust God implicitly, as we obey Him fully, you know what? We will be filled with the grace of God. That's the progression that takes place. Trust Him, obey Him, and you will experience grace in your life. Because Stephen trusted God, walked with him obediently in the fullness of the Spirit, he was given the grace to face persecution and even death. And what's an amazing thing about this man is, neither fear or hatred controlled him, only trust and submission to God's plan. He didn't fight it. He knew God was in control of not only human history, but his life individually. And if that was God's chosen path for him to take... He wasn't going to fight it at all. He would submit to the plan of God. He wouldn't be bitter or angry because guess what? Man wasn't doing to him what was taking place. Even though from a human perspective, we'll see that man did it and man will be held accountable for it. But man only was allowed to do what he did. they did because God was in control. 
And he would use that in a very powerful way. And as we'll see in his death, there was a young man who held the coats of those who threw the stones, and his name was Saul of Tarsus. And he was impacted tremendously from his encounter with this positive role model by the name of Stephen. We'll examine this death in great detail in chapter 7, but for now it's important to know that God's grace flowed out of his life into the lives of others. Think about it. Perhaps this is why he was chosen to minister to widows and why he could pray that God would forgive those who were killing him and dropping stones on him and asking God not to hold that against them because they didn't know what they were doing as they crushed him to death with stones. He was a man that was filled with grace. This kind of grace is experienced, by the way, only to those who die to self. I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 tells us, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God, who delivered himself up for me. The life you now live in this flesh, do you really live it? and allow God to live through you in it? Or do you get in His way? I was dealing dealing with a gentleman yesterday who was going through a rather difficult time in his life. And my words of encouragement were words of encouragement that I've spoken to myself on many occasions as I talk to myself in the third person. (laughs) And the reality of it is this, that God cannot use a man greatly so he hurts him deeply. If you go through the word of God, you will not find anybody that God used to accomplish great things this side of eternity who was not first crushed deeply by God. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He tells us to humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt us at the proper time. God cannot use a proud person because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you're going through a difficult time and it's not a consequence of sin in your life, but we can consider it joy, my brethren, because we encounter various trials knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that we'll be men and women of God, fully equipped, mature in our faith. We can praise God for that. And if you're going through such a time as today, in your life today, know that there are great things on the horizon for a person who's broken before God and, humble, and humbled before Him and just absolutely emptied of him or herself so now God's got a clean vessel that He wants to use to bring people to Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, it's not something that any of us would sign up for. What he's going through, I would not sign up to go through. And all that we can do as, one, as believers in Jesus Christ and as brothers and sisters in Christ is consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. To encourage one another to get into the word of God and see the truth of God and his love for us as individuals and realize that God does what he does for his purposes and ultimately for his glory. And we're here to serve him. There's only one God, and we ain't Him. The fourth reality that's true of a positive role model is that they will also be filled with power. Think about that. A direct result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you and I will have power. And you shall receive the Holy Spirit, and you shall have power to be my witnesses in in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the outermost parts of the world. 
If you trust God implicitly, obey Him fully, and you receive His grace, there's one thing that will happen and one thing alone, and that is that you will have a powerful testimony in the world in which God has placed you. In the arena that you find yourself, this man had a powerful testimony. And notice this. He was full of grace and power, performing great wonders and signs among the people. Great wonders and signs. The Bible says that only apostles and Stephen, Philip, and Barnabas performed miracles. In fact, the word performing indicates and shows that Stephen was continually doing these mighty works. It was a continuous thing in his life. He was consistent in his walk with the Lord. What God was doing in his heart and his life was consistent. If you're looking for a quality or character characteristic of a positive role model, look for someone who is consistent in their walk with Jesus Christ. Consistency. Through good times, bad times. Through those times of trial and through those wonderful times of blessing in our life. Consistency. Stephen was continually doing these mighty works. He was consistent. Taken together, if you look at verse 5 and 8, here's what we've got. It gives the Godward and manward sides of Christian character. As far as his relationship with God, he was full of faith. He knew what he believed and why he believed it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, a gift that was given to him at the time he came to faith in Jesus Christ. From a manward or horizontal plane, he was gracious toward those who God brought into his life and he had a powerful witness or testimony to those so that he can relate them back to Jesus Christ who was the reason he is and was the way he was. We need to do the same thing. As an application at this point, let me challenge you to consider something. Let's clear up once and for all this misunderstanding. It does make a difference how we live as Christians. It does make a difference how we live as Christians. The fact that a righteous man will do works of righteousness is a truth that we cannot get away from in Scripture. We had a Bible study this past week and one of the questions was, Chuck, he goes, the, the, the gal asked, he said, Chuck, I'm concerned about a person that I know who claims to have come to faith in Jesus Christ. But there is absolutely no evidence in his life that that is a true statement. There is no, as the Bible says, fruit, so to speak, of the reality of a person who has been born again. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. There is no evidence in that person's life that he has genuinely come to seek God's forgiveness for his sin. How do you deal with that? Well, we deal with it from the standpoint of sharing and, and, and instructing according to the Word of God. Because we're all at different phases, so to speak, in our relationship with God. Growth takes place. I mean, it's as simple as this. We come into God's kingdom, His family, as a child of God. A baby in your family will not be the same in, in growth, intelligence, and, and physical abilities, and mental capacity as your older, an older sibling that's 5, 6, 10, 12, 18 years old. That's just a reality. It's a truth. But if that baby is actually a child, so to speak, as a Christian, a child of God, then that person will progress and grow in his or her faith. Because God's goal for every believer is to take children of God and turn them into men and women of God. To put aside childish things and to grow to maturity in our faith. How we live our life is important as it reflects what's truly in our heart. 
we are in very dangerous territory when we claim to know Christ, but there is no evidence of being born again in the way we conduct our daily life. A positive role model is one that we can see by the fruit or the demonstrable ways that he or her has trusted in Jesus Christ. Because you cannot be like you used to be. Read Ephesians chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 5 on your own this week sometime to see the, the, the demonstrable difference between how we used to live and how we now should live. Are you full of faith? Do you know what you believe and why? If you don't, I would challenge you to get involved in a Bible study of some sort, a one-on-one study, a discipleship program. Get plugged in so that you can grow in your faith. I'm meeting with a guy right now, a place for the angels, and man, this guy has grown so much in the last six months, he is just blowing by guys that have known Christ for years. And the only reason is because he has disciplined and decided to dedicate himself to know Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And man, it is showing in his life. And it's no coincidence. Just as it isn't a coincidence, if you go on a diet, you become dedicated and disciplined, and over a period of time, you lose weight. Or if you decide to work out or exercise, and you begin to lift weights, and people go, wow, it looks like you're putting on muscle. Hey, that just doesn't happen. And our growth with the Lord does not just happen because we say we want it to happen, but we just don't have time to make it happen. It doesn't happen in any other area of life. Are you full of faith? If not, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. So when somebody asks you a question, you can give them an answer. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? It doesn't mean that the Spirit is present in your life, but are you fully obedient to God's leading in your life? If you are, then there'll be grace and there'll be a powerful testimony to others. Stephen's life displayed God's grace and power because he was filled with obedient faith and with the Holy Spirit. You know, those traits marked him with a greatness uh, that is so often overlooked, especially in our culture that looks at everything from a superficial standpoint. And there's no other path, by the way, to get there. There's no other road to be a positive role model. Now, the second thing that we look for in a positive role model is a person of courage. Is a person of courage. Notice in verses 9 through 14. It says, but, there's a contrast again. Man, this guy was filled with God's grace he was full of power, a powerful testimony. God was working great wonders and miracles through him. You'd think that people would have been rejoicing at what was going on, but you know what? Some people just hated it. Oh, by the way, you will encounter those people as well. If you're busy at the task of being fully obedient to the Lord's leading in your life. Because we will meet with opposition. We will have persecution in this life. You know, all of our problems just don't go away. The problems that go away are the problems that are self-inflicted wounds that were a consequence of sin, but we get new problems as Christians. Which is a wonderful thing, because I would have, rather have the new problems that are than the old problems that were because of my own stupidity. You follow what I'm saying? Because there's no joy in the old problems but there's joy in knowing that God is in the midst of the new problems. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the free men, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up. The Bible says they rose up, which means they didn't get out of their seats, but they rose up uh, from the standpoint of uh, they wanted to oppose what he was doing. They rose up. They were enraged by their hatred of Jesus Christ and they were enraged by their hatred of Stephen because Stephen loved Jesus. He was guilty by association. So their, attitude, their idea was, put them all, let's get rid of all of them. Lump sum, get rid of them all. And uh, they rose up and notice what it says. And they argued 
Now, the word argue isn't quarrel. They weren't yelling and screaming at him. They rose up from the standpoint of they wanted to debate him. Okay? Plan A was this. All right, we'll just debate him. We'll challenge him to a formal debate. We'll ask him why he believes what he believes. When he can't explain why he believes what he believes, we will silence him because he'll look like a fool to everybody, shut him up, send him on his way, and that'll be the end of it. That was plan A. Now, we don't have the details of the debate, but I'll guarantee you that it had to do with Jesus Christ and who he was and his identity, the Messiahship of Christ, his death, his resurrection. It had to do with everything that we're talking about up to this point. But one thing, whatever the issues were, notice what it says. They were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. I like that. Whatever the content of the debate, they got smoked. They just did. And it's important that we know what we believe because God will bring people into our life who we can share truth with them. Last weekend, I had a couple that came to our house and one of them is a Jehovah Witness. And who, who, you know, she was like, hey, this is what I believe. And I said, hey, you know what, where did you find that? That's in the Bible. I said, well, great, let me read it because we'll go through it. And if I can bring out my Bible and show you that what you just said isn't in the Bible. Or what you just said is a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of the context of that passage. If I could explain that and show that to you, would you be willing to change your mind? And she was getting all rattled and she says, you know what, but, but I just, I've always believed that. And I, I'm, I will, no, no, I will always believe that. And she got more and more frustrated. But, you know, with the spirit of gentleness and instruction... We had an opportunity to spend two hours together. And, and at the end of it, she wasn't mad at me to the point where they didn't stay and have dinner with us. But I'll guarantee you this. Well, I wasn't trying to send her away. I'm thinking, hey, get her out of here more for me. But uh, th- that, that wasn't the goal. But, but, but the point was is that, you know, we can have that type of interchange with people if we know what we believe and know why we believe it, know where to find it in Scripture and be able to explain it and be able to understand it in a way that that person can comprehend and grasp, now we don't have any responsibility to try to change their mind or force them to or or twist their arm. But you know what? We are to persuade all men to turn to trust in Jesus Christ. As we'll see, the Apostle Paul before Festus, Festus goes, pretty soon, and Agrippa said the same thing, pretty soon you're going to have me become a Christian. Hey, you and everybody that hears, that's great. That's the goal. That's the intent. That's the purpose. But we got to know what we have to, we got to know what we believe. And notice this also. It says that they were unable to cope with the wisdom. Wisdom is the practical application of biblical knowledge. It's one thing to know truth. It's another thing to apply it in everyday life. Practical application of God's truth. Okay? But also this. It says he was full of the Spirit. Not necessarily the Spirit of God, even though in our, in our, in our passage here that you'll find that the, the word is uh, capitalized, there's some debate as to whether it was the Holy Spirit, we already know it's full of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit as far as the uh, passion, the zeal, the intensity by which he shared truth with others. What a wonderful thing that is. You know, understand this. When you know the truth and you are passionate and zealous, and you can't wait to share it, and there's that passion that's there, you know what? I mean, you got everything it takes to be an effective spokesperson for Jesus Christ. I mean, we've all been to places where the person's sharing truth with you, but man, if they could kill the living Word of God, they are doing their best to try. It's like they're just stabbing it, poking it, kicking it, they're like trying to make it as boring as they can, and just praise God it's the living Word of God, because I've heard people present it that could have killed it long time ago. But man, we get so passionate about everything. Oh man, I can't tell you. Oh, I can't, I can't tell you about this business investment. Oh, I gotta tell you about this. 
You know, Kevin Green in our house for a week, man, I'm like, i got to go take a shower or something. But everything he does, it's like, oh, hey, remember that time? Oh, man, it's like, oh, remember the time work done went down on me? I jumped over top of him and I ear-holed Trent Dilfer, knocked him on his back, knocked him out. So, say, yeah, I remember that. Pass the ketchup. What in the world? It's like, you're getting a little excited here, you know? But man, you know, when you love what you do, people are attracted to people like that. When you're passionate and you're zealous and, and, and you're, you're, you're excited, man, you know what? Now, let me, why can't we be just as excited about Jesus? Because nobody else and nothing else can save us from the wrath of God but Jesus. Can we get a little excited? Can we hear a little holy grunt, amen, under your breath? Hey, 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 amen. Yeah, you know it's just you know it's just so sad. You know I see these guys come up here and lead worship, and I see some of you like I just like I, I want to clap. I'm really praising the Lord. I got the joy of the Lord in my heart. But man, it's so buried deep that I don't think anybody will ever find it. But it's like you know just you you loosen up. I was like, man, it's okay. We can praise God. I mean, think about what He's done for us. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, how can you not have a smile on your, your lips every day? How can you not be passionate about Him and what He's done in your life? How can you not be courageous? This man was courageous. Notice in, in, in chapter 7, verse 51 through 53, after he lays out the big argument about human history, who God is, what God's plan is, who Jesus is, the Son of God, He came in human flesh to die on the cross for our sins. He died. He rose again. He's alive today. And he was pumped up. And here's what he said to them in verse 51. And you know what? Oh, by the way, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit, and you're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You have received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you didn't keep it. Ow! Whoa! His life was on the line, and he did not compromise truth. Stephen's courage stamped him with the mark of greatness. Modern day story. Put it all together with this. Bruce Larson writes of the impact of one man's life in the city of Chicago. He says, when I was a small boy, I attended church every Sunday at a big Gothic Presbyterian bastion in Chicago. The preaching was powerful and the music, man, it was great. But for me, the most awesome moment in the morning service was the offertory. When 12 solemn frock-coated ushers marched in long step down the main aisle to receive the brass plates for collecting the offering. Since these men, so serious about their business of serving the Lord in this magnificent house of worship, were the business and professional leaders of the city of Chicago. One of the twelve ushers was a man named Frank Lesh. He was not a very imposing looking man, but in Chicago he was a living legend. For he was the man who stood up to El Capone. In the Prohibition years, Capone's rule was absolute. The local and the state police and even the Federal Bureau of Investigation were afraid to oppose him. But single-handedly, Frank Lesh, as a Christian layman and without any government support, organized the Chicago Crime Commission, a group of citizens who were determined to take Mr. Capone to court and to put him away. 
says during the months that the crime commission met, his life was in constant danger. There were threats in the lives of his family and his friends, but he never wavered. And ultimately, he won the case against Capone and was the instrument for removing this blight from the city of Chicago. Frank Lesh had risked his life to live out his faith. It says each Sunday at this point of the service, my father, a Chicago businessman himself, never failed to poke me and silently point to Frank Lesh with pride. Sometimes I'd even catch a tear in my father's eye. For my dad and for all of us, this was and is what authentic Christian living is all about. I love that story. Who do you poke your son or daughter and point to and say, be like him, be like her? If you've got somebody, praise God, because that's a hero. That's a role model. And maybe you don't know it, but you may be that person that others poke and say, be like her or be like him. You may not even know at your place of business that people are watching you, looking at you. You know, your, your life is the gospel in a very physical, real form. And people may be poking and saying, that's the guy that we want to be like. That's the person I want you to be like. That's the woman I want you to be like. Do you realize that your life is a book? It's the gospel being written one day at a time, one situation at a time, in the place that God has placed you? I believe if we knew more people were watching us, it would influence the way that we conduct ourselves. We need role models. We need positive, godly role models. We need men and women full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, totally sold out to Jesus Christ, trusting in Him implicitly, obeying Him fully. We need men and women who are filled with the grace of God and gracious towards others, and at the same time not compromising truth. That they will be a powerful, dynamic testimony to a lost world that is lost and condemned and in need of a Savior. And let me just close on this. Notice what we see about, about the life of Stephen. Notice his countenance. His character, his courage, and his countenance. Notice this. And fixing their gaze on him, all were sitting in the council, saw his face like the face of an angel. And I love God's sense of humor. Because one of the false accusations by these false witnesses is that he had smeared the name of Moses. And in God's way of validating what Stephen said, he lit up his face. And there's only one other person in human history whose face got lit up by the glory of God. And that was Moses who asked God to reveal himself to him. And God said, you cannot see me in my full glory because it will blow your socks off. Which means basically it would kill you. <laughs> but I'll give you a little taste, a preview of coming attractions. And Moses' face lit up like he just had lunch at Chernobyl. <laughs> he came down from the mountain. And the people saw him coming. And they feared for their life because he had been in the presence of a holy God. Think about this. 
They accused Stephen of slamming Moses. So God said, listen, I'm going to make a very visible statement here. That man whom you are accusing is my spokesperson and is telling you the truth. And I'm going to validate it now by something that only you would understand if you really studied and searched the scripture. I'm going to light his face up so that it will remind you that I did the same to Moses, my servant. Moses was my servant. Stephen is my servant. They were dedicated to me, trusted me fully, obeyed me. They were gracious, and yet they were powerful. His face radiated. What kind of countenance do people see when they look at you? I would hope that they see the glory of God reflected in your face. The love of God that's in your heart that can't help come out on the surface. It's hard to find a positive role model, but you know what? We don't, look any, we don't have to look any further than the Word of God. I would just pray that as we point our children to role models, and as we look for role models ourselves, that we would only point to men and women who are fully committed to trust the Lord, fully committed to fully obey Him, and demonstrate it with a consistent life. All the rest of the stuff that we point to is shallow at best. And it isn't what you see anyway. Because behind the scenes, I've got to see things that nobody in the public gets to see. The reputation of a man doesn't always reflect his true character. Stephen had character, courage, and a countenance. The world needs men like him. But the world needs men and women who cannot be bought whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who possess opinions and a will, who are larger than their vocations, who do not hesitate to take chances, who will not lose their individuality in the crowd. The world needs men and women who will be as honest in small things as in great things, who will make no compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires, who will not say that they do it because everybody else does it, who are true to their friends through good report and evil report in adversity as well as in prosperity, who do not believe, who do not believe that shrewdness, cunning, and hard-headedness are the best qualities for winning success, who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth when it's unpopular, who can say no with emphasis although the rest of the world says yes. One last thought. Rather than spend so much time looking for a positive role model, why not be one? Father, thank you for your word. For the truth of your word, we just thank you for this life, this life of Stephen that you've immortalized in your word. Man of character, courage, and a countenance that reflected the glory of God in his heart. May we be men and women who are the kind of people that others poke at as they look and see us walk by and say, that's the kind of man or woman, son, daughter that I want you to be. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.